Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to City Church U's Knowing God Guided Reading Podcast. We hope you will join us this holiday season as we read J.I. Packer's modern classic, Knowing God. All right, guys. So we are in chapter 16, which I I think is probably so far maybe the most challenging chapter to to wrap our minds around. Um, He pulls some from Pilgrim's Progress. uh, But, you know, you really have to go through this one a little bit slower maybe than some of the other ones that Mm -hmm. maybe we're a little more accustomed to thinking about and, and going through. Um, on the opening of, of this chapter, he says Santa Claus, which is very fitting if you're listening to this <laughs> podcast in lifetime, uh, that as we approach the Christmas season. Um, but he does not talk about Santa Claus in a bad or in a good way. <laughs> um, he talks about a Santa Claus view of God, but he says something before we dive into that. Uh, that he says people have gotten into the practice of following private religious hunches rather than learning of God from His own Word. Wow, that's. Yeah. so relevant to today that um, so relevant. this is the idea of uh, I just kind of feel you had mentioned this a few podcasts back man I just kind of feel like God does thinks this way is this way would feel this way about you know I mean I've sat in meetings where men are leaving their wife and they feel like they have a peace from God that certainly is not a peace no. from God yeah. about the situation and you know mm-hmm. um, and he says they draw their ideas of God from uh, pagan as well as Christian sources, kind of this idea that we're morphing together a view of God that makes us comfortable, that makes us happy, that allows us to live the way. And um, he goes on to say this is a celestial uh, Santa Claus, and he calls it Santa Claus theology. Uh, and he says, um, on page 160, he says, yet the Santa Claus theology carries within itself the seeds of its own collapse, for it cannot cope with the fact of evil. So here's the Santa Claus theology is kind of this vague, ambiguous, man-made, half-pagan, half-worldly, half-hunch, jolly God that we want him to be, um, rather than just Christ, God of the scriptures, who does have wrath, who does have moral decree, who does have word. Um, And as we kind of think about this, um, he says, in this way, by an ironic paradox, faith in God, who is all goodness and no severity, tends to uh, confirm men to a fatalistic and pessimistic attitude of life. So he's kind of presenting this this man-made view of God that's so prevalent, Mm -hmm. kind of like Santa Claus, too, kind of drawing from secular Mm -hmm. worldly sources. how, how do we how do we try to fight that? How do we try to fight that desire to try to build a God that, that we like? Yeah, I mean, he said how it happens. You don't draw, you know, your truth from the Scripture. So how do we fight it? Mm-hmm. We'll just draw truth from the Scripture. I remember uh, me and my wife, we went to an engagement party, and this girl was talking about, like, and, I, you know, I don't, from what I heard, I just I don't think that she was a born again believer, but just like the something that she had held on to that her dad told her about God. Whenever mm-hmm. she sees a rainbow, it means that something really good is going to happen to you that day. And I was like, okay, that's just like you know, like people yeah. start to form these ideas, they make up these things about God that become 
their truth about God mm-hmm. rather than God's truth about God, which mm-hmm. we find in the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we keep coming back to like the Bible is God's self revelation. And so, Hank, when we're talking, when, when we hear things like that, we just, the urgency to like point people back to the scripture just feels so, it just grabs us because we're like, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. that is not right. And just because you're lacking something or you feel like you need God to be something for you, you can't just like project mm-hmm. that onto the holy God of the universe. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. I I did appreciate him, um, even though I did have to like really focus. But hearing some of um, his analogies and and talking about Santa Claus, but um, but in him focusing in on the idea that you know the problem of evil, ha- we have to be able to talk through that, and mm-hmm. so this doctrine of a celestial Santa Claus, there is no outlet for, mm-hmm. well, why is there evil in the world or how do we deal with that? And so I think we have to um, talk about those sort of like destructive things and also be able to point back to, you know, God's providence mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, how, how he ordains mm-hmm. things in the world and um, just to be like, just to be able to have some answers for people, and mm-hmm. you know what? Like, not having the answer is okay too. But yeah. we're gonna look back. We're gonna look into scripture for this. We're not just going to like, like you said, have a hunch and just, you know, start talking and saying saying the wrong things. Yeah, there's kind of two two words I circled in, the, in that earlier quote on 159, talking about private uh, private religious hunches. I circled private because I think that becomes an issue too, or like we have these huge mm-hmm. formations and musings on God that we keep to ourselves mm-hmm. and we don't discuss. But it's like, you know, one of the things that's so great about the Christian faith is that we not only have the Word of God, but we have community. And yeah. part of how we better understand who God is is through Christian community mm-hmm. through the discussions we have and experiences. So I think that's really important too, to not fall into that Santa Claus, you know, yeah. theology yeah. is, is to actually be a part of, of public conversations and faith about who God is, what he said. Yeah. And then another thing I circled was the uh, circled pagan where it says they draw ideas about God from pagan as well as, as Christian sources. And this is become really, really prevalent, I think, because um, we we just spend so much time, truthfully, being surrounded by pagan, you know, ideas, yeah. thoughts, ideologies, worldviews that we often are drawing from that well rather than the well of Scripture. And I think that we have to be very, very wary of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so um, he moves on and he talks about God's goodness, um, w- which I think is you know, something that Christians, you know, to, to, to go back to the back burner thing, we, we often pull God's goodness to the, to the front. Um, and so understanding God's goodness, and he, he does something I think is really important on page 162, and he talks about generosity. And he says, on page 162 says, this is the quality of generosity. And he defines, he says, generosity means a disposition to give to others in a way which has no mercenary motive and is not limited by what the recipients deserve, which we deserve wrath, mm-hmm. um, but uh, 
consistently goes beyond uh, goes beyond it. And he says, generosity expresses the simple wish that others should have what they need to make them happy. Generosity is, so to speak, the focal point of God's moral perfection. It is the quality which determines how all God's other excellences are to be displayed. Um, God is abundant in goodness. And then he goes on to say the biblical way of putting this is uh, that there's a distinction, though. And this is what I want us to talk about. There's a distinction uh, that God is good to all in some ways and to some in all ways. So God is good to all people in mm-hmm. some ways, but to some people he is good in all ways. This is the chapter we're in. <laughs> um, uh, and I think this is important for listeners because this will make so much sense of um, so much of the Christian worldview, just to, to kind of ca- go into this. Um, Amanda, yeah. you were talking about common grace before we yeah. recorded this. So grace... You know, in recognizing that as God's generosity to his people, um, and Packer calls it free favor. So he, we don't pay him for his grace. We can't earn his grace. Um, but it's also something like when I became a Christian, I had never heard of common grace, mm-hmm. which um, is just God's generosity in um, creation, preservation, and all the blessings of life. So, I mean, even... Even people who don't believe in God experience his blessings in this world, mm-hmm. um, the comforts and, you know, the, the blessing of children. And, mm-hmm. you know, many, there's many examples. Um, but to know also that he reserves special grace uh, for his people. So that's, he says, manifested in the economy of salvation. So those who he has saved, um, he reserves this special grace and and I had heard, you know, like God loves all people, but for his people, there is a special love, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the love of the Father. And you want all people to to feel that special love mm-hmm. and so to experience that special grace. And we don't have control over that, but I think it should press us to um, or sh- should encourage us to to share the mm-hmm. gospel with others. And I think that can make evangelism really hard in some ways mm-hmm. because people are resting in common grace and they sure. think everything's good yeah and a lot of time people have people who are non-believers have great lives they would consider them to be great excuse me by worldly standards and Mm -hmm. so it can be difficult to argue with someone who feels like well everything in their life is just well things are Mm -hmm. just going so well so like why do i need why do i need god yeah and really the uh this idea of common grace also teaches us truth about like a doctrine of hell Mm -hmm. where you know it's easy to think of hell in the very pop culture sense of fire brimstone this place that i don't i don't know it's kind of almost cartoony um and i don't specifically know what hell is going to be like jesus Mm -hmm. speaks of it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth so obviously suffering but what i do know is that hell is going to be a place where there is no more common grace Mm -hmm. so now everyone Christian or not, experiences the common grace of God. So they experience goodness of God Mm -hmm. in the fact of things like marriage, you know, childbearing, just like growing up um, in America, we have so many blessings. But hell is the absence completely of the goodness of God. The goodness is stripped, and there's only severity. Mm -hmm. Um, And so out of this idea of common grace, we also learn a lot about what hell must be like. Um, it is when God is no longer gracious towards you in any way. Um, because as we talked about previously in the last chapter, you chose, you chose that, Mm -hmm. that eternity. 
Yeah, and that that's just the word severity. We don't use that very much, but the mm-hmm. idea, you know, that I think a lot of people have a Looney Tune view of hell. It's yeah. this this cave with a red guy with a pitchfork and yeah. But what hell is is the severity. It's the cutting off. It's the removal of God's goodness. And there's mm-hmm. ways in which even those who aren't Christians experience God's goodness. And then there's a way in which in hell, eternal separation from God, all of God's goodness is pulled pulled away. Mm-hmm. And the scriptures don't teach us what the aesthetic of hell is yeah. or the, the you know a lot. But what we do know is that that is the what what heaven is 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 a special. Uh, presence of God, yeah, a way in which he dwells with us. Of yes. his presence. And what hell is, is the severity of his goodness. Yeah. It's the withdrawal of yeah. all goodness from of what God is. And there's something that Packer says I think is really important on 167 for us to meditate on, too, as we look at this chapter. He says the principle which Paul, he's talking about Paul in Romans 11, is applying here is that behind every display of divine goodness, and example would be, um, it would be, you know, somebody looking at the stars and there's a way in which we all are just blessed by that and we see that divine goodness stands a threat of the severity and judgment if that goodness is scorned in other words we experience common grace and with every experience of common grace is the threat that that grace could be pulled and withdrawn from us mm-hmm. i think that's really important for us just to realize as christians you know mm-hmm. um how serious sin is and how serious and real hell is with with that. Um, And those perspectives really do give us the picture of the greater mercy of spiritual redemption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How gracious we should really, or grateful, excuse me, we should really be because of what we realize, like God has given us a way out of, he's Mm -hmm. like redeemed Mm -hmm. us completely of what would be eternal separation. Mm -hmm. So what, what I kind of want to close on, so he talks, he, he works us through that, and i um, really glad that this chapter is in here to think about that. And he talks about our response, and he gives three things. He says, appreciate the goodness of God. Um, so that's kind of what we were just talking about. Like, mm-hmm. just realize, wow, like, God is just, the fact that we woke up today and mm-hmm. breathed air, you yeah. know, is God's goodness. Um, the second, we appreciate the patience of God. Once again, the fact that we have time, mm-hmm. you know, is shows God's patience. And three, appreciate the discipline of God. To, to you guys, what do you feel like comes most easy in that list, and what do you feel like maybe comes most challenging? <laughs> That's for, for me, very easy to answer. I <laughs> feel like I always appreciate the goodness of God mm-hmm. and His blessings. And if anything, like I think I've just become more aware of all of them, and so I can... I do just have a, a posture of gratitude that is just m- maybe more overarching mm-hmm. in my life. Um, I probably don't really recognize the patience of God very often, mm-hmm. um, but I, I will say, like, I do, I have had that feeling that, like, well, my life is unworthy of him, which Packer talks about. So we, you know, we we seek grace to intimidate, or sorry, <laughs> imitate his patience when we realize, like, how great, like, how great of patience he's had with us. Um, But it's just not something I focus on a whole lot. And I mean, can we be grateful for discipline? Mm -hmm. We should be, but that does not come easily or naturally to me. And often it's kind of like I'm kicking and screaming when I Mm -hmm. find myself in a situation where maybe afterward I recognize like God was, you know, making a point or growing my character is like not always our choice that we would, put ourselves through that but 
I realize, you know, I should be more grateful for how he disciplines me. And that's what any good father uh, would do. Yeah. I feel like I appreciate the goodness of God the most mm-hmm. of the three because it, it's good and I like that. But mm-hmm. I feel like out of appreciate discipline or patience, I feel like more often I appreciate discipline. It's never like <laughs> during it, yeah. but it's on the back end. Mm-hmm. I feel like I realize it more. I feel like I never appreciate the patience of God with me because when he's patient, I, normally I'm not recognizing that yeah. he's being patient until it's time for discipline. And then I'm like, wow, God was really patient with me. Um, so I feel like often I don't think about or appreciate that God is very patient with me in like bringing me and sanctifying me more and more. Yeah, yeah I agree. Goodness. That's something I feel like I've grown in a lot mm-hmm. it, just with having children and with trying to just be more conscious with just being more present to, to use a buzz term, but just in all the environments that I'm in, whether it's, you know, under stars or if it's with my children or whatever, for me, I feel like I often acknowledge God's patience. Cause I, cause I feel like, you know, I get so frustrated. I have a, a journal that I keep and I just feel like I'm just takes me forever to, to see about the changes that even I I'd like to see in my life. But he says something I think really good on page 166 when he's talking about the discipline of God. He says, or if you're a true believer and he still puts thorns in your bed, mm-hmm. it is only to keep you from falling into solemnness um, or complacency to ensure that you continue in his goodness by letting your sense of need bring you back constantly in self-abasement uh, and faith to seek his face. This is pulling from the idea that Paul quotes in Corinthians 12 where he talks about this thorn in his flesh mm-hmm. that the Lord... Even though we have received salvation in Christ, we are still there's still a discipline from the Father in which He puts these thorns in our life to mm-hmm. push us into maturity. And I often, yeah. uh, you know, Paul says in that chapter, he says three times I pleaded that God would take this away, and yet He wouldn't do it. And I think yeah. for me, um, I read that and I and I understand it conceptually, but in my mm-hmm. life, when I have these thorns that just won't go away. I often just want them removed because I just want comfort. I just want peace. I want, you know, and yeah. and so I think for me, I think that's the hardest to do. So I encourage you guys just to slow down, look at those and in reflection, ask yourself the same. What what comes easiest and what comes most challenging? And uh, thank you guys for today. And we'll move on to chapter 17 next.